allow me to tell you about one of the world's most famous evangelists. It might be hard to believe, but this evangelist is actually more famous than the Reverend Billy Graham, though he's a little less amiable. He's more famous than a man like D.L. Moody, even though Moody has a college named after him. He's preached to more souls than a man like George Whitefield. Maybe you've heard of him. He was a preacher from the 1700s who preached 18,000 times to an upwards of 10 million people. That was before TV, radio, sound systems, and that's insane. He was preaching all the time. But this evangelist is even more famous than a man like that. He has a different style compared to some of the famous prosperity gospel preachers of our day, like Kenneth Copeland or Benny Hinn. He's honest about the reality, the pain of life. This evangelist has been preaching to souls for thousands of years, and his sermons have influenced nearly everyone around the globe. But he's not that popular. (laughs) His sermons definitely pack a punch. Some might say he's a little stiff, but he's inflicted more emotion, more tears than any preacher that's ever walked the planet. Have you figured out who I'm talking about? This evangelist, his name is Death. Death is maybe the most famous and one of the most influential evangelists that has ever walked the earth because there's nothing that gets you and I thinking about eternity more than our mortality. The reality of death is hard to escape. It's hard to escape when we turn on the news and we see pictures, images of mobile incineration units in Ukraine. Images where parts of the picture are blurred out because there's human remains on the photo. It's hard to escape the reality of death when I'm scrolling through my Facebook feed this morning and I see a a news article, a a 30-year-old hiker, a woman aspiring to be a thoracic surgeon dies while hiking in Iron County in northern Wisconsin because the clay embankment that she was on collapsed and they didn't find her for days. It's hard to escape the reality of death when there's three suicides connected to one local school district in a span of a week. It's hard to escape the reality of death when we're walking through the hall at Aspirus and we hear code blue blaring through the speakers, knowing that even in the hospital, the chance of someone surviving a code to be released from the hospital is only one in five. It's hard to escape the reality of death when a family member or a friend is walking through the pain of miscarriage. It's hard to escape the reality of death when that family member or friend is diagnosed with cancer with six months or less to live. It's hard to escape the reality of death when you get a call from the police department with news that a family member has unexpectedly died in an accident. It's hard to escape the reality of death when you're at a funeral service at that old church down the road for a friend that you don't know if they ever believed in Christ. You can't escape the reality of death when you're asked to sign the death certificate at a hospital after a horrible accident. You can't escape the reality of death when mom or dad calls and said, drop everything, get to the nursing home right now, otherwise you're not going to be able to say goodbye to your grandma or grandpa before they pass. Death sobers us up in a hurry, doesn't it? It's hard to imagine a more captive audience than at a funeral service. 
Because death always invokes the question, what happens when I die? Is there life after death? Am I ready for eternity? Am I ready to die? When is this going to be me? The wise Solomon understands that these are not fun questions for us to ask. Death invokes a pain and emotion that we would probably rather leave stuffed inside. But Solomon also understands that those who walk with wisdom don't avoid the hard questions. Those who walk with wisdom don't skip out on death's sermons. Here's our big idea tonight. When we remember our mortality, we live with great sobriety. When we remember our mortality, we live with great sobriety. Maybe you've realized how much our culture here in the States seeks to minimize death. That's not the case for other cultures around the world. Think about our brothers and sisters down in Mexico, a culture that our young adult's family has a a privilege to spend some time within. On November 1st and 2nd every year, Mexico and other Latin American cultures celebrate a holiday called uh, Dio de los Muertos, uh, which is the Day of the Dead. It's a holiday that basically you take uh, the American holiday of of Halloween and you ramp it up like 17 notches. Um, It's disturbing. The, The theme of the holiday is this this skull that's, that's horrifying. And people are, even kids are walking around in the streets with this skull painted or on their face. But what families do is they build these altars, ofrendas, and they put memorabilia from the deceased or their, their favorite hobby or their favorite food in this home altar in an effort that the deceased will actually come and visit them and hear their prayers. They don't shy away from the pain of death. Or think about the Hmong culture, a culture that's a part of the Wasa community. They'll often have multi-day, three-day funeral services where the family, the mourners, will be present with the deceased, with the body of the deceased, in the living room or in the living space of the home, day and night for three days. They don't shy away from the painful reality of, of death. Now, I'm not suggesting that we celebrate the Day of the Dead or we have multi-day funeral services. But when we look at our American culture, we don't even want to acknowledge death. We've sterilized it. Just think of all the euphemisms that we have for death. We don't even like to say death or or dying. We say things like, ah, they kicked the bucket or they've passed. We say, I'm sorry for your loss. Or even in Christian circles, it's not untrue, but we tend to use phrases like, she's in a better place or he's gone home. A couple years ago, I was leading worship in our tradition service, which meets right across the hall on Sunday mornings. And the average age of traditions is a little higher uh, than young adults uh, on, a, on a Monday night. But I love being in there and gleaning the wisdom uh, from some of these brothers and sisters. But on this particular Sunday, right before the service, one of the lay leaders came up to me and said, Sam, I, I need you to make an additional announcement during announcements. That's fine. Tell me, tell me whatever. I can, I can make the announcement. There's this woman that uh, they had been praying for. I don't remember her name. We'll call her Sally. Um, and Sally was in the hospital. She was very ill. Um, but they'd been praying for her, and she was doing better, and she'd been released from the hospital. So he wanted me to give everyone an update that she'd been released from the hospital. So it gets to the announcement time in the tradition service. Remember, the average age is a little older than young adults. And I got to that point, and I said, you know, I know you've all been praying for Sally. I just want you to know that she's gone home. 
yeah. <laughs> and, and like the whole room like gasped. And I was like, okay, rewind. No, Sally, she's doing well. She's gone home from the hospital. She's been released. Like God's answering your prayers. And praise the Lord, no one had a heart attack. I thought I needed, <laughs> I thought I maybe needed some extra blood pressure medication, but that's fine. But I wouldn't have had that problem if we wouldn't have had so many euphemisms for death. Why can't we've, they've gone home just mean literally you've, you've gone to your, your house. Our culture has worked to sterilize death. We've seen that here. We've seen that across the pond in the UK with the recent trend since the 1970s to change funeral services to celebrations of life. And this trend, as most trends in our world, they started with celebrities. Uh, actress Linda Bellingham's funeral was, quote, all singing, all dancing, all knees up. At, Jones River, at Joan Rivers' funeral, a men's chorus opened with a series of Broadway tunes, or my personal favorite. In 2005, Johnny Depp hosted a funeral for one of his closest friends, Hunter Thompson, which included the opening song, Spirit in the Sky, a fireworks show, a 150-foot tower, and an exhortation to enjoy a shot of whiskey after the funeral. Now, let me be clear. I do not have a problem with the title, Celebration of Life. There's always things we can celebrate in everyone's life. But here's what I think is unwise, and I think Solomon in our text tonight would agree, that many celebrations of life simply celebrate the good qualities of the deceased, without ever acknowledging the painful reality of death and of mourning and of grief. A funeral is designed to be a time of mourning, not a party. And when we make a funeral a party with balloons, with funny stories, with toasts, what happens? It's a defense mechanism to refuse to enter into the grief. So some celebrities have moved the opposite direction. Think of John Lennon or David Bowie. Neither one of them had funeral services. They were both cremated. Lennon was cremated in secrecy. There was no funeral. There was no memorial. That'd be the polar opposite. Their families decided that instead of a, a giant wedding ceremony sort of a vibe for a funeral, let's just sweep death under the rug. Let's ignore it. And let's just move on like nothing happened. But why would somebody choose either alternative? Why would we just ignore death? and not have a service and not acknowledge it? Or, or why would someone make death, make a funeral a party? Here's maybe the most theological thing I've said all year. Two words. Death sucks. Death sucks. Death is never a good thing. It's never something to be celebrated. Death is the most painful reminder that we live in a sinful world, that we live in a broken and a fallen world. Death, death is the evil antagonist. It's the final enemy. And every time we enter into a funeral home, every time we attend a memorial service, we're confronted with the painful reality that life is not the way that it's supposed to be. Every time we encounter death, it stings and it hurts we know that it's wrong instinctively, that it's evil, that it's not the way that life is meant to be. And sometimes it's just easier to ignore the pain. It's easier just to sweep it under the rug. It's easier just to, to laugh the pain away, to hide the emotion, to hide the tears, to refuse to enter into the pain. But just because death is painful does not mean that the thought of our own mortality should be avoided at all costs. 
In his wisdom, Solomon encourages us to enter into the pain of our grief because there's an even greater spiritual benefit. Our text tonight is not an easy text. I'm not going to skirt around one of the most painful, yet one of the most certain realities of our existence, which is death. But Solomon helps us understand that when we consider the reality of our own mortality, we learn how to live. So follow along with me as I read Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4. Solomon writes, A good name is better than precious ointment. The day of death is better than the day of birth. It's better to go into the house of mourning than the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Hey, let's start with verse 1. We'll get that one out of the way. A good name is better than precious ointment. Sorry, ESV, don't love your translation. I really think Solomon is talking about perfume. A good name is better than precious perfume. It makes sense. Your heart is more important than how you smell. God cares more about who you are than how you look. God cares more about our, our in, internal character, our reputation, than he does about our outward appearance. Now, I don't think Solomon is saying that we should have like a giant deodorant burn. Well, that's not what he's saying, right? <laughs> Wear your deodorant. But he's saying that we need to spend more time focusing on who we are than how we look. God cares more about your heart. It's a lot easier to smell good. It's a lot easier to put on perfume and some cologne. But it takes years to develop our character, years to develop our reputation. That's what you need to be focusing on. Focus more on your heart, who God is calling you to be, than focusing on how you look, focusing on physical fitness, focusing on the aura that you portray on social media. Spend more time focusing on your character. That was the easy part of our text. It gets a little harder from here. The second half of verse one, the day of death is better than the day of birth. What? Who says that? The day you die is actually better than the day you were born? Doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. You're right, Jake. It doesn't make any sense. Unless we consider the big idea of Ecclesiastes. Life is meaningless under the sun. Life has meaning. We find meaning through the Son, through Jesus. That's what Paul says in Philippians 1, 21 to 23. He says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I can't tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. You hear what Paul's saying? He's torn. He, he, he wants to depart and, and be with Jesus, but at the same time, he wants to stay on earth because that means fruitful ministry. But Paul is saying that it's better for him by far. If we were actually to read this in Greek, it'd be really clunky because Paul says something like, if you were to read it literally, uh, to be with Jesus is more, better, much more excellent. I mean, he uses three Greek words where our text only uses one. He, he doesn't leave any room for doubt that if you know Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, the day that you see Jesus, it's gonna be the best day of your life. Seeing Jesus is, is infinitely better than living in our broken, fallen world. Now, God decides which day that day is going to be. We don't get to decide. 
That's in God's hands. But whatever day that is, if you know Jesus, that's going to be the best day of your life. But what if you don't know Christ? What if you don't have a relationship with him? Then your day of death is not going to be the best day of your life. Frankly, it's going to be your worst. Because when we die, when we breathe our last breath on earth, there's no second chances. There's not a a chance to rewind. There's not a chance to go back and fix all the things that were broken. There's not a chance to go back and say, yeah, no, I wish I would have believed in Jesus that night in April when I was that young adult. There's not a second chance. That's it. So if you were to die tonight, would today be the best day of your life or the worst? Huh. Would it be the best day or the worst day? If you don't know Christ, that's going to be the worst day of your life. And I know it's tempting to think, come on, Sam, I'm in my 20s. I've got my whole life ahead of me. You are not immortal. Any one of us could kick the bucket on our drive home from young adults tonight. Pardon me for using a death euphemism that I don't like. (laughs) We don't know. Any day could be our last. Don't delay making the most important decision of your life. If you don't know that you know Jesus, don't leave tonight without talking to somebody. Don't leave tonight without knowing that you know that you've turned from your sin and you've trusted in him. Only then can our day of death be better than our day of birth. But then look at verse two. Solomon says that it's better to go in a house of mourning than it is a house of feasting. And then in verse four, he says something similar. He talks about a feast and then he talks about a a house of mirth. Is that what he says in the ESV? House of mirth. Anybody ever used the word mirth before? Yeah, me neither. I definitely haven't. But it's kind of a unique word. It actually um, provides this, this idea of a party where there's like way too much food and there's way too much alcohol. And then there's some of the sinful things that happen when people have too much to eat and too much to drink. I'll just leave it at that for tonight. Now, certainly those are the parties that I hope that you're not going to on Friday nights. But he actually lowers the bar in verse two. He's not talking about a house of mirth. He says, a house of feasting and house of mourning. Literally, here's what Solomon is saying. It is better for you to go to a funeral visitation than a wedding reception. Once again, Jake, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. How about you? If you had a choice on Friday night, would you rather go to a funeral visitation or a wedding reception? Pretty sure all of us in our right mind would say, yeah, wedding reception, why would I pick a funeral visitation? But what did Solomon say? He said, no, I would actually rather go to a funeral visitation. And Solomon was actually wiser than any of us in the room tonight. But thankfully, he answers the why question at the end of verse two. He says, for that is the end of all mankind and the living should lay it to heart. Or in other words, the living should take it to heart. When somebody goes to a party, let's say they have a little bit too much to drink. They're not living with sobriety, are they? They're not living with clarity. But when someone does the opposite and goes to a funeral service, it brings life into focus. And that's our first principle tonight. Embrace sorrow 
as life's clarity. Embrace sorrow as life's clarity. Maybe you can think of it this way. I've had glasses for <laughs> nearly all of my life. Um, any four-eyed friends out there? Thank you. Appreciate you. Actually, when I was like in fourth or fifth grade, I got bifocals and I was like a six-eyed person rather than a four-eyed person. So praise the Lord, I grew out of that nerd status phase. But I will never forget the day that I got glasses. <laughs> we walked into Shopco Optical, rip, and I got my glasses. <laughs> and the first thing that we did is we drove downtown Wausau, because I grew up in Wausau, and there's this old cinema downtown that's not even a cinema anymore. And we went downstairs in the basement of the cinema and we watched a movie, an instant classic, The Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> and I could see, it was incredible. Like, I thought it was amazing. Maybe that's why I loved the movie so much. It's the first movie I could see. <laughs> but think for a moment. My glasses didn't change reality. It didn't change what happened on the screen but my perspective changed. And the same thing happens when we encounter grief. The same thing happens when we consider our own mortality, that all of us are gonna die. Our circumstances don't change. Our reality doesn't change, but our perspective changes. Certainly, going to a funeral visitation is not as joyful as watching the emperor's new groove. Asking the big questions of life like, am I ready to die? Is not a fun concept to meditate on. Frankly, for me, it's a lot easier just to leave my glasses on the bedside table and not even think about it. But when we attend a funeral, when we attend a visitation, when we meet up with a friend in the midst of their grief, or when we're walking through a season of grief ourselves, we can't avoid the thought of our own mortality. And it sobers us up in a hurry. When you're invited to go to a, a funeral of a distant relative, it's a lot easier just not to go. Or on the anniversary of a friend or relative's death, it's a lot easier just to forget about it and not go to their grave. When a friend experiences tremendous loss, it's a lot easier just to avoid the conversation because it's less awkward that way and less emotional. If they do start crying, I don't know what to do. A funeral forces us to consider our own mortality. It forces us to put on the glasses, allowing life to come into focus. Don't dismiss your grief. Don't reject it. Don't drink it away. Don't laugh it away. Don't ignore the pain and the sorrow, but allow the great evangelist to help you reorient your priorities. Here's a practical application. I encourage you to take the next opportunity that you have to attend a funeral. God's timing is always God's timing is interesting. Right as I was drafting this message, uh, we had a couple individuals from our church pass away over one weekend, um, which happens from time to time. Um, but one of the women that passed away, uh, her name was Wilma. And during the shutdown, Wilma was one of the individuals that I would call every two weeks just to check in. And just a dear woman. Uh, she and her husband were in full-time ministry for decades. 
And she was just a great encourager. She had leukemia. And the leukemia went into remission, and she was doing well a couple months ago, came back with vengeance, and uh, it took her life. But right as I'm drafting this message, uh, I have the privilege of going to her, her funeral service. And Pastor Dave did the service and just did an excellent job balancing the grief of our own mortality with the hope that comes through Christ and through the gospel. And, you know, it takes a lot of toughness, a lot of fortitude uh, to try to hold back the tears while you're watching a, a video of pictures and, and video of, of a woman like Wilma's life while listening to Scars in Heaven by Casting Crowns. Um, you know, as Nico would say, there's like this fluid coming out of my eyes. But every time we go to a funeral, it forces us, you know, to ask some deep questions. And here's what I was asking. Man, I wonder what my family's going to say at my funeral. Are they going to say, you know, Sam was a really nice guy and he really liked skiing and he was really ticklish. It was kind of awkward, right? <laughs> Are they going to say that? Or am I living a life today that's so radically on fire for Jesus that the gospel is going to come through over and over and over and over again? during the service? How am I living my life? How are you living yours? When we go to a funeral service like that, it's also pragmatic. It made me realize that, you know, someday, probably not that far away, I'm going to be in a service like that again, but that's going to be my grandparents, my parents. So what did I do on my drive home from church that night? I called all my grandparents because I don't talk to him enough, and I just needed to tell him that I loved him. Never would have happened if I wouldn't have gone to that service. Going to a funeral is a way for us to put on the glasses and to put life into perspective. Don't ignore death, but allow the great evangelist to teach you how to live. I talked to another friend on the phone a couple weeks ago who lost her husband to an aggressive form of brain cancer over the summer, they thought they had more time with him, but they didn't, and he went rather quickly and suddenly. She's been having a hard time. And I thought she said something insightful. She said this while we were on the phone. Everyone keeps telling me that I'm strong, but they don't see me alone, losing it each evening in a pool of tears. I thought for a moment and replied and said, my friend, I don't think tears are a sign of weakness, but tears are a sign of strength. But our culture doesn't think so, does it? Our culture would never say that tears are a sign of strength. Our culture rejects emotion. Our world hates grief, hates tears. Why? Here's a guess. One of the idols in our world is comfort. Our world's addicted to comfort. I think a lot of us probably are too. And grief is not comfortable. It's uncomfortable. And it's easier just to stuff the emotion and not deal with it. Tears are viewed as a sign of weakness. But that's not what Solomon says in verse 3. Did you catch what he says? By sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Sadness of face, <laughs> tears, crying. By crying, the heart is made glad. Solomon is saying that we can't stuff our sorrow, that we have to let the emotion out, 
the wise person allows themselves to mourn and to grieve following a deep loss. Tears are okay. Real men and real women don't cry is a myth. Put on the glasses and let the sorrow direct you to the one who will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Think about John 11. Jesus is in Bethany, maybe a week or so before his crucifixion. And he's there and his friend Lazarus had died. Been four days since he passed. Four days. And Jesus comes and there's all these mourners there and his siblings are there and everyone is just weeping and they're wailing. And Jesus walks up to the tomb and, and he encounters the pain, the reality of death. Jesus knows he's about to raise him from the dead. But he experiences, he feels that pain of this is evil. This is not right. This is not the way that I created the world. This is not a pain that people should be experiencing. And what does he do? He weeps. My friends, if the creator of the world can weep when he encounters death, so can you and so can I. So our second principle tonight, stop stuffing your sorrow. Stop stuffing your sorrow. I've heard a number of people say this. I haven't heard it last night. Quote, I don't want people to cry at my funeral. Have you ever thought that? Yeah, I've seen it before too. And I think maybe it's well-intentioned that we don't want people to be sad at our funeral. But why? It stems from the same mentality that grief is bad, that grief is wrong. It's not. Death is a reality of life in a fallen world. And for you, if death hasn't hit close to home, if you haven't lost someone close to you yet, it's inevitable. You will. But beyond a personal encounter with grief, each one of us will someday have family or friends that are walking through a season of grief themselves. And we'll have the privilege and the opportunity to put an arm around them and to provide comfort for them in the midst of, of their grief. This is a really hard thing, but it's a vital thing. It's an important thing. Just a couple quick words of advice on walking with a friend through a season of grief. One, shut up. Your friend doesn't need your advice. They just need you to be present. Just show up. Give them a hug. Grab a Kleenex box and cry together. Think of Job's friends. After Job encountered a deeper loss than any of us will ever experience, his friends just showed up and sat with him for days. When they opened their mouth, that was when the problems started. Just be present. But number two, after not talking for a long time, then ask good questions. Don't be afraid to talk about the deceased. I learned this from my wife, though she wouldn't tell you. She's far wiser and smarter than me. Um, in 2009, she lost her older brother to a tragic and sudden accident. I never met him. His name was Caleb. He was 21. He's a nursing student at Eau Claire. And Hannah found out that everybody else moved on a lot faster than she and her family did. She also found out that people would continually hesitate 
to ever talk about Caleb. They wouldn't bring up his name. They wouldn't talk about him. Likely out of a genuine concern that they didn't want to make the family more emotional. But Hannah had wished that people had just asked and checked in. She wished that they'd shared stories. They would have talked about Caleb instead of just ignoring this giant elephant that was in the room. It's okay to talk about the deceased, to ask questions, to share and hear stories. There's a chance that some of you here tonight have never dealt with grief, that you've experienced some deep and profound loss, and you've taken it and you've stuffed it inside, and you've built up a wall around your heart, and you said, I'm not dealing with this. Maybe tonight's an opportunity to begin to enter into that grief and to let a, a dear brother or a dear sister, a small group leader, let them in and to begin to work through the pain that you've been hiding for months or even years. Tears are not a sign of weakness, but they're a, a sign of strength. But it's vital for us to remember that if you know Christ, that death does not have the final word. And a Christian funeral provides the unique opportunity to enter into the painful reality of death, giving people permission to grieve the loss while providing the greatest possible hope in the midst of it all. Think of 1 Corinthians 15, 26, which says this, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death will be destroyed, but it hasn't been destroyed quite yet. Just think about the timeline of how things are going to work when you or I pass away. When we die, if you know Christ, then your soul spirit, which is one and the same, will go into the presence of God while our body will go into the ground until the day that Jesus returns gloriously. The day that Jesus returns, then our soul spirit will be reunited with our earthly body and we'll receive a, a new glorified body that'll resemble Jesus' body. We'll meet Jesus in the air and we'll reign with him for a thousand years. After the thousand year reign, then Satan will be unbound for one final battle. He'll be utterly defeated and he'll be thrown into the lake of fire. But get this, the end of Revelation talks about the day when death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire, never to be heard from again. On that day, death will be defeated. And once and for all, we'll live with Jesus for all of eternity. That's what we call hope. Someday, something far better and far greater when death will be no more. We've got to delight in the defeat of death. That's our final principle tonight, delight in the defeat of death. This hope, our hope, if you know Christ, in life after death, in eternity with Jesus, certainly has some practical applications for us tonight. There's a big difference between the, the funeral or memorial service for a Christ follower than someone who doesn't have faith. Funerals for Christ followers must be filled with hope. Yes, there's tears. Yes, there's sadness over the loss that we've experienced but when someone knows Christ, we never grieve for them because they're with Jesus. Every tear has been wiped away from their eye. They, they're experiencing their best life. We grieve for ourselves, but there's hope 
because death will never have the final word. There's something special about going to a funeral of a, a faithful Christ follower that was ready to meet Jesus. It's a time of, of grief combined with a, a time of celebration and of worship and also of expectancy of when we'll get to meet Jesus as well. But I think Paul says something insightful about grief in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. I'm gonna read it out of the NIV because I think I have some great clarity. So it says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Paul made a distinction between two different types of grief, a hopeless grief and a hope-filled grief, a hopeful grief. But notice that believers in Christ still grieve. We just grieve with a hope that surpasses death. And because death is the greatest evangelist, then each person is going to encounter death at some point in their life. Death provides an opportunity, a window of opportunity for us to share the gospel, to bring the hope that we have in Christ. If a coworker or a neighbor or a friend experiences deep loss, we have an opportunity to come alongside them and to share Jesus with them. Instead of just saying, I'm praying for you. I'm so sorry for your loss. What if we take that conversation a step farther and say something like, you know, sometimes when I encounter death, it makes me consider my own death. Have you ever thought about that before? Or we could say something like, you know, could I share with you the hope that I found in Jesus that has gotten me through seasons of grief like this? Because for us today, death still sucks. And the pain that we feel is only temporary. The day is coming when death will be defeated, when the sting of death will just be a faint memory. I hope that you're looking forward to that day. But until then, let's allow the thought of our own mortality to teach us to live with great sobriety. Allow death to teach you how to live. As we wrap up tonight, Bobby and Sarah are going to make their way to the front. And I just want to tell you about an only God moment. I was, again, working on this message a couple weeks ago, and I just finished drafting it. And I clicked save on my computer, and something just didn't feel right. Like, I just can't end there. It just doesn't, doesn't, didn't feel right. So I got my phone, and I have a text from my friend Dylan. And Dylan said, Sam, you've got to check out this song. It's right off the new Phil Wickham acoustic record called Hymn of Heaven. And I clicked play. And I looked out the window, and there I was in my office with this fluid coming out of my eyes again. Sorry, Nico. And it was like the Lord said, no, this is how you're going to end tonight. So as Bobby and Sarah uh, lead this, uh, <laughs> a beautiful song, um, this is a chance for us to just take a five-minute deep breath. Instead of running into our small groups and getting a conversation, I, I don't know what God's doing in your heart tonight. I also know that this is just a really heavy topic. There's a chance that you've never confronted your own mortality, that you've thought, I'm going to live forever. I, I don't have to get serious about life. Maybe you've got to ask the hard question, am I ready to die? Maybe that means you don't know Jesus, that you've been living for yourself. And it's time to say, 
I've got to drive the stake in the ground and say, I believe. I believe that Jesus died for me. I'm giving my life to him. Or maybe talking about death hits close to home because you just don't want to be here. Because the thought of ending it all has been running through your mind a little more lately. And if that's you, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's a real pain. Maybe tonight's the night to say, yeah, I'm not leaving young adults before I find Suzanne or before I find my leader and say, I've got to talk about this. Or maybe death is real because you've taken grief and you've stuffed it deep inside and you've never dealt with it. Maybe tonight's the night to let that out. Tears are okay. We're a family. Families cry together. There's no judgment tonight. But take the next five minutes just to take a deep breath and talk to the Lord. And I'll come back up when you guys are done.